In this first chapter of the book of James, we've been challenged to view our trials and our temptations maybe in a different light than we've ever seen them before. Uh, to be able to see our trials as a tool that God uses to grow us in this relationship that we have with God, uh, to build steadfastness, and that steadfastness is going to grow us to the point that we are mature and complete and lacking in nothing, James says. He also helps us to see our temptations in a different light. They're not originating with God, but they are Satan's trick to lure us away from God with his offer of these counterfeit blessings uh, that he creates to look like the good and perfect gifts that flow from above. Satan's temptations appeal to our fleshly desires. They promise to, uh, to satisfy the deepest desires of our heart, the, what the scripture would refer to as the lust of our heart. It tricks us into taking the bait, which is a sin, then against God. And then Satan sets the hook, as Dalton described last week, dragging, dragging us away from God, which is death. I take that verse and I try to remember it with this, this word. Remember back in the, in the 70s, there was a big to-do about LSD, uh, that drug, and how deadly that it was. Well, this is Satan's LSD, his lust, his sin, and the death that follows. And so Dalton warned us about that last week. And without the Spirit's help, we're going to settle for these cheap imitations that Satan throws our way instead of holding out for God's good and perfect gifts. And only God, through his Spirit, can help us to distinguish between what is real and, and what is, is not. What is the real deal, the good gift from God, and what is this this cheap imitation that never fully satisfies. Today in this passage we're going to look at, we're only going to take three verses in, in this, this next part, and we're going to look at these three verses, and it's going to set out to tell us about the kind of heart that God wants to create inside of us that gives us this ability then to distinguish truth from error, the, the real deal from the, the counterfeits that Satan throws our way. So let's look in James chapter 1. Uh, today just the three verses, verses 19, 20, and 21. And, uh, and, and read along with me, if you will. It'll be on the screen, but, but follow along as James uh, speaks to us. He says this. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. On the surface, you read this verse and you go, man, this would be great advice for a husband and a wife who are in relationship with one another. To learn to, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And it would be great advice for friends who are doing life together in community to, to be able to be quick to listen, to be slow to speak, and to be slow to get angry. And, and, and it is great advice. Listen before you speak. That principle alone could change many of our relationships, taking them to an all-new level. And, and when you look at it on the surface, you go, man, that's an incredible passage that talks about how we relate to one another. But when we look deeper at the context, we look at what James has been saying and what James is about to say in this, in this letter that he's written to these believers. When we look at the context, um, we see something a whole lot deeper. We see something a whole lot more meaningful. It's, it's a great relationship principle for us and our relationship with one another. And if it weren't for the context, we would, we would probably be, that would probably be the best way for us to preach this passage and to understand it. But the context kind of adds a new depth, a new dimension to James's instructions. Which, by the way, is another reason as you study your Bible, it's better to take it book by book. 
Don't just pick a verse here and pick a verse there. If we just grab this first verse and say, man, it's better to be, be quick to hear, slow to, slow to speak, and slow to anger, we could, we could apply that to relationships and we could get some good out of it. But when we understand the full context, all of a sudden it takes on this deeper meaning, a great reason that we like to go through the Bible verse by verse. So I want you to remember that James is writing now to believers who are going through uh, persecution. He's offered them several tests already, uh, another one today, another one next week, tests that will help them to prove and be assured of their, their relationship with Jesus, tests that prove the genuineness of this relationship that they have with God. And so test one was how we respond to trials, and, and James talked to us about that in verses 2 through 12. Test two was how we respond to temptations, which was verses 12 through 18. Today, we're going to look at, at, at the, the third test, and that is how, we will, how well we receive God's word. And then next week, we'll look at the fourth test, which is how well we obey God's word. So today, James starts with this command. He says, you, know, you need to know this. this is, in other words, you need to be receptive to, to, to what God's about to say to you. Next week, he's going to come back and say, now, you need to not just be receptive to what God says, but you need to be busy doing what God has told you to do. Uh, as, as Dalton pointed out last week, and it's especially important this week and next week, God is not trying to give us another to-do list, but he is taking aim at our hearts today. What God is going to do through this passage is not just talk about the things that we do. He's not just trying to say to us, okay, let me get this in the right order. You listen and then you talk. That, that's important, but that's not all that James is trying to say. James is going to look at the heart today and say, let me tell you what kind of a heart speaks before it listens. Let me tell you the kind of heart that, 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 that's always got something to say but never wants to listen to anybody else. And he's going to focus on the condition of our heart that leads us to get these things backwards, okay? Uh, one, one author I read this week said this. He says, we need God's supernatural life and power to flow into us in order to make our hearts receptive and responsive to God's word. This week we're talking about being receptive. Next week we're talking about being responsive. We need God's life and God's power flowing inside of us to make our hearts receptive and responsive to his word because we cannot do what James is asking us to do without God's help. So today's not another to-do list. Today's passage is simply not about not simply about getting the order correct. He's, he, he is saying, listen before you speak, but, but that's not all that he's saying. And in fact, the, the book of Proverbs would, would say that, that that's a wise thing to do. Listen before you speak. The book of Proverbs says that only a fool will speak before he listens. But today is not just about getting the order correct, but it's about getting my heart ordered correct. It's about getting my heart right before the Lord. So where my heart desires God more than it desires anything else. We're going to see today that what James is going to do is to contrast the pride that we allow into our lives at times with the humility that's required if we're to become what God wants us to be. So he's going to contrast those two things. Um, when our heart gets right, then the order is going to be right. If our heart's wrong, the order's going to be wrong, the attitude's going to be wrong, everything will begin to, to disintegrate in front of us. So perhaps the best place to begin this morning is with a word that we're not even going to find in our text. Nowhere in these three verses do you see the word pride come up, but this is really what James is writing about today. The word pride is not listed here, but the attitude of pride is under everything that he is saying. And so maybe the best place to begin is this, is this word pride. Uh, the, the part that James writes today, these three verses, I believe, are written to expose our foolish pride, that, that pride that prevents us, if you will, from responding correctly to our trials and our temptations. 
Now follow me on this. The reason that we tend to be quick to speak and slow to listen, the opposite of what James is asking us to do, the reason we're quick to speak and slow to listen, either with God or with others, is because that we think that what we have to say is more important than what anybody else in the room has to say. You ever been around people like that? You walk in and they just talk, 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 talk. And they do it because why? They're convinced that what they have to say is the most important thing that anybody could say. They may even tend to think that they are the most important person in that room. And that pride doesn't just carry over into our relationships with one another, but that, that kind of pride can carry over into our conversation with God. It's, it's, the, it's the pride that says, I think I'm the most important person in the world, that what I've got to say is more important or more pressing than what anyone else has to say. So it's true in our relationship with others, but it's even more damning when it's true in our relationship with God. The, the person who is so full of himself seldom pauses to listen to others because he thinks that he's the most intelligent or the most important person in the room. And that is the very essence of pride. And when we walk into a room and we speak before we listen, or we come into God's presence and we speak before we listen, what we are saying is what I've got to say is more important than anything you could want to say to me. And and this person who loves to hear himself talk falsely assumes that everyone else does too. And James says, that's not right, and that's not accurate, and that will never produce the righteousness that God desires. So with this prideful attitude, uh, it becomes highly detrimental to our human relationships, but it's even more destructive and deadly in our relationship with God. So I want you to to not miss today that, that James is going to put this heavy emphasis upon being able to humbly receive the Word of God, which God desires to plant deep within us. In fact, when you, when you look at this, he's talking about the difference between humbly receiving the Word of God and the pride that keeps us far away from God. Four times in, in, in an eight-verse section here, James prioritizes the Word of God. In verse 18, verse 21, verse 23, and 25, he calls us to hear God's Word, to receive God's Word, and to do God's Word. So look at verse 19. Let's just kind of walk through this kind of piece by piece. He says in verse 19, I want you to know this. And so in other words, he's about to pass on something that is, is critical for us to know. He refers to them as his beloved brothers. In other words, this is going to be critical for all believers. Let every person, no believer is excluded from what he's about to say. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, is the order important? The order is going to be very important to James. But it's important because the order reveals our heart. When I come in conversation with a person, if I really care about that person more than I care about myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to listen. I think I've told you this before, but I remember after Kurt Isles, a friend of mine, went to Africa and served as a missionary, he came back to the States and we had him in our home, and we were visiting, and I wanted to hear all about Africa. And, and we sat down at the kitchen table, and we were sharing a meal together. I said, Kurt, I want to hear all about Africa. I had just come back from Africa on my trip, and I said, I want to hear all about your trip. And he looked at me, and he goes, so how are your kids? I said, they're fine. How, how about your trip? Well, how, how's your family doing? He was more interested in me than he was telling me about him. And we finally got around to the Africa trip, but only after he first listened. 
That's a man of wisdom, a man that says, I want you to know that I value you more than I value myself. And James says the order is important, but the order is important because of the attitude that's within our heart that's revealed through the order that we take. Our heart sets the priority, and our priorities dictate the order. And the order that we do things reveals the priority that we've placed upon those things or those people that we're having that conversation with. So let's apply this to our relationship with God because that's the context in which James is giving us these instructions. When we come into God's presence, let's, let's ask ourselves, do we come for the purpose of speaking or of listening? Think about that. Here lately, let's just take the last week, the last month, whatever. When you've come into the presence of God, did you come to speak or did you come to listen? When you look at your prayer life as a whole, is it 98% speaking and 2% listening? How does it balance out? What does it look like? Because that will tell you the priority of, of, of what you place upon that. If, if you come into God's presence and all you want to do is to rattle off your list and then to run off and do your thing, that tells you something about your heart. And James says, let's look at that. So when we come into God's presence, do we come for the purpose of speaking or do we come in order to listen? Do we come to hear what God has to say or just to tell God what we want him to do? Do we sit quietly and listen? Or do we just fill up the throne room with noise? You see, our attitude communicates um, somehow that we think that we possess the answer that God lacks. God, I'm coming to the throne room to tell you I've got this problem. As if God doesn't already know I've got that problem. Or God, I'm coming into your throne room to tell you that I've got a problem and I figured out the answer and I'm just asking you now to do it. I'm letting you know something, God, that you need to know when God already knows all of that. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Doesn't God ask us or tell us to come into his presence? And doesn't he say to, to come and to make our request known to him? Absolutely. And, and that's part of prayer. But that's not all of prayer. In fact, God says, I want you to come and I want you to, to, to make your request known to me, but I want you to do so in reverent submission to me. So how do I know God's will, unless I first take the time to listen. This is, this is changing how I pray. So as I speak today, this is not just a message for you, but this is, this is, this is I'm in process. I'm in, in, in God re, reshaping the way that I pray and the way that I pray for you, the way that I pray for those on our prayer list and those that we've been asked to pray for. Because here's the deal. I don't need to rush into God's presence and tell God what he needs to do. I need to come into God's presence and say, Lord, you know what? I got a friend that's struggling here. And I'm not real sure what you're doing in that process, but I would like to understand that so that I can pray correctly. I don't want to fill up the throne room with words that don't matter, with words that go contrary to your design and your plan. I want to be able to understand, but how will I know God's will unless I first take the time to listen? So James says, be quick to listen. How am I going to discern what God's trying to accomplish through that trial if I'm not listening to the voice of God? If I come into the throne room with my mind made up what God needs to do in order to make me happy or to make somebody else happy, then how in the world am I going to humbly receive the word that God wants to plant in me? How many times do we come into God's presence with the wrong motive? 
How many times do our prayers reveal that our comfort is of more of a priority to us than God's character being developed in us? Our prideful hearts can assume that we know what's best. And our pride can convince us that we deserve something better than what we're currently receiving. As a result, we often rush in, we tell God what he needs to do, and then we rush out without ever considering what God has to say about our situation. James is saying in this passage, I want you to humble your hearts. And when that happens, you will listen more than you speak. You will listen to what God is trying to show you before you begin to lay out your request before God. If we get that backwards, then our request before God may be totally out of line with God's will. And so now we're praying in, in, in contrast to God's will. No wonder he's not answering us. So James says, humble your hearts. Learn to listen more than you speak. And then when trials and decisions come, our hearts that have been trained by this will know how to long for God's voice, to long to hear from him what he is doing. But in order for that to happen, we've got to quiet our soul. We've got to come in his, in his presence with the, the desire to hear even more than we speak. We've got to take the time to immerse ourselves in God's word so that we can ask God to reveal to us what his ultimate plan is for our lives. Apart from God's word, we don't know that God uses trials to grow us. We don't know that trials produce steadfastness and steadfastness produces this this maturity and this completeness and and all these things that God's trying to do in our life. Apart from God's word, we're lost to, to why bad things happen to good people. But when we immerse ourselves in God's word, all of a sudden we go, man, There may be a purpose behind this trial. There may be a reason that God has allowed this. Let me look and see. So we we come with the heart to listen. We come into God's Word, diving into it, looking for for God to reveal. We, We come listening, expecting God to speak to us. And He does through His Word, by His Spirit. He speaks to us through other believers who are in God's Word and who are listening to His Spirit. Otherwise, we never know how we're supposed to pray. Let me give you an example of what happens when we don't come listening. Let's say you're, you're going through this, this major trial, this major thing in your life, and God's goal for allowing you through that trial is to develop steadfastness. And that steadfastness will, will finish its work and produce this mature character that James has talked about earlier in chapter 1. But if you're going through this and God's goal is to mature you and that maturity is only going to come as you walk through this trial and you come and you say, God, get me out of this trial. I do not like what I'm going through. Get me out of it immediately. For God to pull you out of that trial immediately would not be in your best interest. Rushing into his presence, demanding relief will only lead to frustration and anger when God doesn't grant your request. Quick to listen slow to speak and slow to get angry. You know why? Because when we rush in and we reverse that, we end up angry that God's not answering our prayers. He's not doing what we demand. He's not doing what we think is best. But if we come humbly before him in order to gain his understanding, to gain his direction, to gain his biblical, spiritual wisdom, then my whole prayer could change. Instead of coming in saying, God, I'm in this situation. I don't like it. Get me out. We can come in and say, Lord, you know what? The truth is I don't like where I'm at right now. But I believe, according to your word, 
that you're trying to mature me, that you're trying to grow me, that you're trying to show me something, that you're trying to do something in these trials for your glory and for my good. So, Lord, let me pray for strength to endure. Let me ask for the grace that I'm going to need to represent you well as I walk through this fire. Let me ask you for the faith, God, that I'm going to need to trust you completely. And God, let me ask you to grant me the peace that passes all understanding as I look to you and I trust you and I lean on you every step of the way. See, all those things God would grant. But I'm never going to pray those things if I don't have an understanding of what God's trying to do in the middle of my trials. So when we're going through a trial, it's easy for our vision to become cloudy. It's easy to allow the fog to roll in and to keep us from seeing clearly what God's trying to do. We don't know what God's up to, but God does. We don't know what we need at that particular moment, but God does. We don't even know how we're going to get through this, but God does because he's already got the plan in motion. And we, if we're honest, don't know what's absolutely best, but God does. So we've got to silence our prideful hearts. We've got to start listening to what God is trying to say to us in these moments. We've got to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And that will prevent the anger that doesn't accomplish the righteousness that God desires. So we've got to start trusting that when we don't know how to pray or what to ask, guess what? The Holy Spirit's already praying for us. It's almost... And I don't know for y'all, but for me, it's almost like sometimes there's a crisis that hits and I feel like that I've got to get to God as fast as I can to sound the alarm, to let him know there's a crisis in the world and I need him to step up and to do it. And it, it, it's not the, the thought of sitting quietly and listening before God doesn't even enter my mind. I just got to get there and, and wake him up and say, God, let me tell you what's going on in my life or my brother's life or, or, or my sister's life. Or, or I got to tell you right now, Lord, I, I need you to know. And the thought of coming quietly in his presence, trying to understand what he might be up to, doesn't even enter my mind. But guess what? I don't have to rush in because Jesus is interceding for me. The Holy Spirit's already interceding for me, and the Holy Spirit's interceding for me according to the will of God. He's uttering those words that I haven't yet found and figured out what to say. You know why he says if you come into prayer and you don't know what to pray? Because sometimes we come into prayer and we haven't been quiet, or God hasn't revealed yet what we need to be praying. And so in those moments, in that interim time, the Holy Spirit's already praying. He's already doing his work for us. He's got us covered. And he's interceding on our behalf. And I ask you this morning, can it get any better than that? You don't have to wake God up. He he knew your problem long before it arrived. I don't need words in the presence of God as much as I need an humble heart. Which is why this thing called pride is so damaging. God knows what we need long before we ask. And what we need most when the times get tough is to be able to hear from God. Because if we're not hearing from God, then, 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 and, and we're not quietening our spirit, then we're not going to humbly submit ourselves before the Lord. Notice what James says, be quick to listen, be slow to speak. Now listen to this. If my listening is quick and my speaking is slow, guess which one needs to occur first? Listening is quick. 
Speaking is slow. Listening should always precede my speaking. My speaking should always follow a time of listening. But pride fights that. Pride tries to keep that from happening. But when, we, when it does occur in the order that James places it here, then, then I can pray and I can use my time in God's presence asking for things that God will, 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 will gladly grant instead of wasting my time just filling up the throne room with things that God would never grant. When we ask for things that he's willing to grant, he, he answers and our faith begins to grow. His will is accomplished and we are blessed beyond our wildest dreams. Dalton has said to us many times, one of his sayings, we talk about what we love, and we love what we talk about. And the same thing is true in prayer. Our prayers reveal a lot about the focus of our heart. What is central in my prayers is usually what's central in my heart. And here's the neat thing about our prayer life is that it can uncover the idols in our heart. Think about this. Your prayers can uncover the idols in your heart. The things that we love more than God and God's plans. If God's plan is to go this way and I'm asking God to go that way, guess what? My plan's an idol. I'm valuing my plan more than I am God's plan. I encourage you this morning to examine your your prayer habits, to, to really stop and listen to how you pray. Sometimes when we pray, we just put our mind in motion and we just say the same things over and over and over again. Stop and listen to your prayers. Stop and examine the the, the motive behind your prayer. How much time are you spending listening and seeking God versus talking and asking God? How much time are we spending submitting and receiving from God versus posturing and trying to bargain with God? God, if you'll do this this time, I promise I'll do that. And we we get into this bargaining with God. What, What are your prayer habits revealing about your heart? Are you praying, first of all? Is there a prayer life where you're coming before the Lord? And if there is, what does it reveal about your heart? Has pride begun to creep in to that relationship with us and God? Do your prayers reveal that you value what you want more than what God wants? If so, then your desires have become your idol. If your prayers reveal that that you value comfort over the character that God wants to develop, then guess what? Your comfort is your idol. If you believe that your plans are better than God's plans, then your plans become your idol. The thing you want more than God. If I feel that somehow God owes me, I'm a good person, I deserve better than this then my demands in God's presence become my idol. Prayer is like a window into our soul. It reveals all that's within, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It shows us what we truly value most because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And out of the heart, we pray and we converse with God. The things I treasure most are the things I will talk about the most, even with God. Now, that's not bad. If the thing I treasure most is the same thing God treasures. But the treasure of our heart ought to be God himself. Lord, what I need most when I come into your presence is just you. 
Just you. Because if I've got you, then you're going to give me what I need. You're going to give me understanding. You're going to give me wisdom. You're going to give me peace. You're going to give me direction. If I desire you and I get you, I get everything that comes with you. So let me come into your presence and desire you more than anything else. So the thing I treasure most is the thing I talk about the most, which is not a bad thing if those things align with God's will. But if my heart is so filled with pride that it can't submit itself to God, then I'm not going to sit still and listen because my mind's already made up. Now, James doesn't say here, don't ask or don't talk. He just tells us to humble our hearts first by learning to listen when we come to the presence of God. Learning to listen as we talk even more than, than what we say. Humble your hearts. Make sure that what you're asking for is in alignment with God's will, God's timing, God's plan. Remember how James says that when we lack wisdom, we should come before God and ask because God gives generously to all without finding fault. But that if we ask, we need to ask in faith believing because he that asks without believing is like the man that's tossed back and forth and, and that man should expect nothing from God. Well, think about this. How can I be convinced that I'm praying according to God's will if I'm not first committed to listening to God's voice? And if I'm not convinced that I'm praying according to God's will, how can I ask in faith believing that God's going to grant what I'm asking him? And if I can't believe in faith that God's going to grant what I'm asking him, why should I expect to receive anything from God? All these things tie together here in this passage. And this whole process has got to begin by allowing God to crucify my pride so that I'm willing and I'm able and I'm eager to listen to God. Quick to listen, slow to speak. For then and only then, Will I be willing to set my sin aside and to hear what God has to say? Only then will I be willing to seek the Lord and say, Lord, show me what you're doing through this trial so that I can learn the lesson, I can grow and become more and more like you. But here's the problem that we face, most of us, is that pride can become very deceptive. It can blind us to our blind spots. Think about this. Pride blinds us to our blindness. So because I'm, 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 I'm inundated with pride, I can't see that pride's there. I, I, it blinds us to our blindness. The, the, the blindness that's created by our pride hides from us its very presence. Some of those prideful people, the people tell you they're not prideful because they're blind to their pride. In in a very real sense, our pride prevents us from seeing our pride. And so if we are here and we're saying, you know what, I don't have any pride. I'm not a prideful person. Chances are you are. You just can't see it. Your pride has blinded you to your pride. And, And pride causes our hearts to believe things like this. Well, I already know enough, so I don't really need to listen. Or I already know what's best for me, so I don't even need to hear another plan. I don't even desire another plan. I know what's best. Or how about this one? I think I'm pretty good, just like I am. I don't need to grow. I don't need to be stretched. I don't need to be changed. I think I'm pretty good. That's pride. Why is pride such a big deal to James, and why would he introduce it at this point in his letter to these believers? 
Those are questions we ought to ask when we study God's Word. Why is this here, and why is it in this place and not somewhere else? And why is it such a big deal to this author to communicate this? Well, I think pride was such a big deal to James because he saw what pride had done to him. Remember, James was a half-brother of Jesus. Remember how the half-brother of Jesus looked at Jesus? Thought he was crazy. He and Mary and the family come to pick up Jesus one day and say, Come on, boy, you're embarrassing the family. They thought he lost his mind. They, hey, James wasn't going to follow Jesus. That's his brother. How would you like it if your brother said, I'm the Messiah? You're going to go, yeah, right. We don't want to believe that. James was a doubter. He was, he was not there. He was not one of the followers of Christ until after Christ had died. Why was pride such a big deal for James? Because it had blinded him to who Christ was. In fact, it almost caused him to miss what God was doing through Christ. But James is also... Looking at pride is a big deal because it's the enemy of everything that he's told us to do so far. Real quick, let me run you back through what James has told us. And you see how pride's the enemy of everything that he's been instructing us. Watch this. Pride will prevent us from rejoicing in what God's doing in our lives. Because we can't see it. Pride will not allow us to submit to God's process for growth because we don't think we need it. Pride will keep us from asking for God's wisdom because we think we already have everything we need. Pride will focus us on our own resources, and we will miss the treasure that we've been given in Christ. James says pride, verse 12, will rob us of our eternal rewards. That pride will make us vulnerable to the deception and be easily hooked by Satan's lure, verses 13 through 15. Pride makes us oblivious to God's goodness and His grace, verses 16 through 18. Pride leads us to talk more than we listen more, verses 19 to 21 we're looking at today. And pride convinces us that the sin of pride is just a small thing, instead of being the filthy, rampant wickedness that James describes it to be. So when we don't see it as a big deal, we allow it to remain in our lives. And instead of putting it all away, as James calls us to do here in this passage, we, we, we keep it, we hang on to it, and it results in a life that resembles death a whole lot more than life. So perhaps we don't understand how repulsive pride is to God. Maybe we think pride's just a small thing, it's not a big thing, nobody can really see it, nobody can know it, I can keep it under wraps. But James says it's repulsive to God. That it's filthiness, and it's a rampant wickedness. And pride, if it's not dealt with, becomes deadly. And there's this great wake of destruction that follows behind pride. So for God to grow us, pride's got to be dealt with. We've got to put it all away, he says. Pride needs to be seen as the cancer that it is, threatening our, our very spiritual growth. For us to see pride as anything less than what God describes it reveals how blinded we've become by pride. Pride darkens our hearts, clouds our understanding, it distorts our thinking, it dulls our hearing, it it, it greatly hinders this fellowship that God desires to have with us, and even more so, it, it leaves us confused and angry when things don't go as we think they should. The sin of pride is a lot like the buildup of earwax in your ear. It dulls your hearing. And by dulling your hearing, it limits your understanding. By limiting your understanding, it causes you to miss out on the things that God is trying to say to us. As Janet and I age, I age, she doesn't. But as we age, 
we, uh, we're not hearing as good as we used to. In fact, we laugh sometimes because we answer questions that the other person didn't even ask. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And that dullness of hearing can keep us from hearing the things that we need to hear, which can get us into trouble. James says to us, don't tolerate the sin, especially the sin of pride. Don't give it a place in your heart. This pride is filthy in God's eyes, and it's more rampant than we might imagine, James says. See, God doesn't see our pride as a small problem. He sees it for what it is. It's filthy, and it's wicked. And pride is an issue of the heart. So James takes aim at our heart, and he fires away. Where pride remains, our words will drown out God's words. Our will will take priority over God's will. Our prayers will go unanswered because they're not in alignment with God's will. And as a result of that, our anger builds because we're not getting what we want. But James calls us to a better life. He calls us to allow God to create in us this hunger for the living word of God. Eager, he says, to, to have the word of God implanted within us, which is able not only to save our souls, but to sanctify us in that process that follows. He calls us to a better life where, where we have a teachable spirit that joyfully submits to God's plan. He changes our heart and our understanding to know that, that nothing can outdo God's plan, that there is no better plan. But without this work of God, Deep within us, pride's going to lead to anger because we're powerless to achieve what we want. We're powerless to control everything around us. And because of that, we grow angry. We can't get what we want. And God is too gracious and too loving to give us what we want because it's less than his best. And James says that the problem with choosing this path, verse 20, is that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So even worse than not getting what we want, we lose this, this stuff that God has for us. We will not become mature and complete and lacking in nothing, like he says in verse 6. We'll miss out because when, when pride resides in our hearts, we would rather submit our list to God than to submit our hearts to God. And God's growth process gets derailed by the pride that resides deep within our hearts. Trials become meaningless struggles. They leave us angry instead of holy, distant instead of dependent, disappointed instead of joyful. And the anger that James is warning against stems from, number one, not knowing who God is or not knowing what God is doing in our lives or, or knowing who God is and knowing what God is trying to do in our lives and just saying, Lord, I don't want nothing to do with that. I have no desire for those things. So sometimes we can know what God is, who God is, we can know what God's trying to do, and we can still say, Lord, I want nothing to do with that. And when that happens, we can be assured that pride is present. Maybe we don't want to pay the price to grow. Maybe we prefer our comfort over God's character. We prefer good times over godly times. We choose the status quo over change. Sometimes, if we're honest, we'd just rather play God than submit to God. So pride is deadly. It costs us the abundant life that God has for us to enjoy. 
So James knows that unless we allow the Lord full access to our hearts, we will remain immature, disappointed, confused, angry. So what James is calling us to is to develop this heart that's eager for God. And guys, the truth is this. That's not something we can do on our own. The change that needs to come to our hearts, a change that only God can bring. But he's not going to kick the door down. He's not going to rush us and pin us to the ground and, and do heart surgery on us. He's calling us to a heart that's eager to know and to do God's will. That's anxious to be conformed into the image of God. A heart that's willing to pay any price in order to know God more intimately than ever before. And we're never going to get there if we just do all the talking. So James again says, be slow to speak, but be quick to listen. And the result will be a lot less anger. Because anger comes when we reverse those things, and it never accomplishes the righteousness that God desires. Let me ask you some questions as we wrap this up. What, what if we started coming to God in prayer and we began by asking God to speak? So we come into his presence, but instead of talking, we just ask him to speak. We ask him to make known his will, his ways, as we wait quietly before him. Is quietness awkward to you? We need to get used to that in the presence of God. Because that's when he speaks. As long as I'm just rattling on, I can't hear him. So what if we came into his presence and we started this fellowship by just saying, Lord, I'm here to listen to you. I want to hear your heart. What if we used our words that we do use in his presence to confess our dependence upon him, to admit our need for him, to praise him for his previous provisions, knowing that he will never fail us, ever, to confess our need for ears to hear, the faith to trust, the the heart that will yield? What if when trials come, Temptations come. We've immersed ourselves so much in the Word of God that the Spirit of God is able to bring back to our remembrance the things of God that will instruct us and guide us through those difficult times. What if we listened as the Spirit reminds us of all the promises that God's Word contains, all the promises that God has made to us? What if we were quiet and we allowed him to remind us of his goodness and his grace in days gone by and his promise of his goodness and his grace in every day to come? What if we showed up in his presence and we simply said, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. I need to hear from you far more than you need to hear from me. God, you already know what's going on here. I don't. I need to hear from you. What if we confess that, God, I know this makes sense to you, even if it doesn't make sense to me. Would you help me trust you? 
What if we came into his presence and we said, God, I'm going to need some grace in order to be able to bring you honor all the way through this trial, all the way through this time in my life? What if we prayed like Jesus did and said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. What if humility replaced our pride? What if listening replaced our talking? What if we were more interested in what God has to say than we are about what we have to say? So let me ask you, what do your words that you use in prayer and the attitude with which you come before God, what does that reveal about your heart? Has pride crept in and found a home there? What, what needs to change inside of you today? What, what is it that you need for God to do that only God can do that would eradicate the pride from our lives and put us quietly before him so that we can be quick to listen, slower to speak, and we can walk away not angry but pleased with what God has said. Are you willing this morning to ask God to crucify your pride so that you can begin to grow again in Christ? If you are, this morning we need to give him full access to our heart. We need to ask him to to create in us this desire to desire him more. It's God that works in us both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Lord, I need you today. We're talking about, I need you to create within me the desire, the will. And next week we'll talk about the work. But today we'll be giving full access to our heart. We'll be asking him to make us more eager to listen to him than to speak. If we do, we're going to take our sin serious. And we're going to say, Lord, I need you to to, to come and, and to get rid of this filthiness and this rampant wickedness. Because I want to receive with all meekness, with all humility, the implanted word of God which saved me, which will sanctify me, which will keep me where I need to be. We've got to take our sin seriously. We've got to see it the way that God sees it. And then we need to humbly repent and yield ourselves to God completely, desiring to obey his voice as he makes it known. This is James's message. This is God's call upon the church today to be quick to listen to the voice of God, to be slow to speak, and to be slow to grow angry. For our anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God, but to reject that sin, to get it away so that the word of God might be implanted in us. We might know the word and the will of God. I'm asking you this morning to look at your heart, to examine your prayers, and to say, Lord, I just want to sit in your presence. So I want to be quiet, and I want to listen. Maybe today we would be wise like young Samuel. Remember the story of Samuel in the temple? He'd gone as a young kid. As he lay down at night, he heard the voice of God and didn't know what it was. And he went to the one that was mentoring him and says, what'd you say? And he said, I didn't say anything. Go back to bed. 
And after a couple times of that, he says, Samuel, next time you hear that voice, just say this to God. God, speak. For your servant is listening. We would be wise today to let that be our prayer. Lord, speak. I'm just going to be quiet. And I'm just going to listen. Speak. Show me what you're doing. Show me what you want to accomplish. And then give me the heart to be willing to cooperate. Let's pray together.